This afternoon we'll turn to the Gospel of Luke in chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, we will continue where we left off this morning. We'll read the first 13 verses of Luke 11. Hear then the word of the Lord. Now it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And so he said to them, When you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And he said to them, Which of you shall have a friend? And go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot arise and give you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? As far as scripture reading for this morning, and in connection with the scripture reading, we'll also turn to the Heidelberg Catechism and Lord's Day 46 on page 83 in the back of your Psalter. Lord's Day 46. Here we read in question 120. Why has Christ commanded us to address God as our Father? And the answer is that immediately, in the very beginning of our prayer, he might excite in us a childlike reverence for and a confidence in God, which are the foundation of our prayer, namely that God has become our Father in Christ, and will much less deny us what we ask of him in true faith than our parents will refuse us earthly things. And a question 121, why is there then added which art in heaven? The answer is, lest we should form any earthly conceptions of God's heavenly majesty, that we may expect from his almighty power all things necessary for soul and body. Your congregation, our focus this afternoon will be on 
the section that we read, verses 1 through 13 of chapter 11 of Luke, and then also with the catechism, uh, considering the first line of the Lord's Prayer, Our Father in Heaven. Jesus, we know, he prayed often to his Father in Heaven. And sometimes even he prayed through the whole night. And when he ended this prayer here, his disciples came to him, and one of them asked, Lord, teach us to pray. And you wonder what that would have been like to hear the Lord Jesus pray. You know, when you, if you've gone to prayer meetings and you've heard those, those godly people there praying, men or women, and when you hear them pray, you, you, there's something special, something special about their praying. You can hear they have a confidence and a trust in God. There's a, there's a real communion and interaction with the God in heaven, and they draw you along in their prayer. There's also the people who like to have fancy prayers. They, they, they know what phrases to use, what words to use, and how to polish your sentences. And as Spurgeon says, they're, they're like the long tail feathers of a, a proud strutting peacock. They look fancy, but they really are nothing more. But when a person prays from the heart, the words might not be eloquent, the sentences, sentences might not be perfect, but their heart is engaged with God. And then there's, a, there's a, an awesome silence in the room when no one dares to interrupt them and they want to hear what they're saying. They also desire to be able to pray in that way. Or maybe you have godly parents or grandparents' children and you, you've, you've seen them pray and you wonder, what are they praying or how are they praying? These disciples, they saw the Lord Jesus praying. And what earnestness, what trust, and what confidence must he have had there? What real zeal and love would have been evident in the Lord Jesus as he prayed and as he communed with his Father in heaven, who he knew intimately from eternity? And so these disciples, maybe even a bit timidly, they asked, Lord, teach us to pray. Do you ever ask that, children? Do you wonder, Lord, how do I really pray? How do we draw near to God in prayer? Well, that's really what the Lord Jesus is teaching us here. And he gives us this pattern in the Lord's Prayer, a pattern that we can follow. And it begins with addressing God, with addressing his honor and his kingdom and his will. And after that, it it turns to the petitions for our own needs. And it's similar to what he taught Martha, as we heard this morning, too. To put God in the first place. That worship God and his name and his glory before our own needs. And so Jesus here, he teaches us how to approach him in prayer. And that's our theme, approaching God in prayer. And we'll have four thoughts. To approach him with confidence, with humility, with persistence, and with an urgency. So first then, with confidence as our Father in heaven. And so when the disciples asked him how they should pray, the first thing he taught them is to say, Our Father. Why? Why is that, children? 
Well, I can say this because my youngest is not here, but when I'm sitting in my office, I like to have it quiet. I need time to think and to focus. But her youngest daughter is just tall enough to reach the door handles. And she can open that door, and, and then she runs in triumphantly and expectantly, and the first words out of her mouth are, Dad. And so there's a confidence in that little girl when, when she comes into her dad's office. And at that age, there's no thought of being rejected. There's not, not even a consideration that that would be possible. And so there's full confidence. And children, as they grow older, of course, they learn to know some boundaries, but they always know that they can have that confidence when they go to their parents, their father, that they will not be rejected. They can go to them with all their needs. And if you look at verse 11 of this chapter, it says, If we ask bread from your father, children, will he give you a stone? Or if you ask for a fish, will he give you a snake? Or if you ask your father for an egg, will he give you a poisonous scorpion? And the answer is, of course not. Your father will give you what you need. He might not always give you what you want, but he'll give you what you need if he is able And that's what the Lord Jesus is saying. If you look at verse 13, it says, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And we read that in the Catechism as well. Question 120 explains why Christ commanded us to address God as our Father. And the Catechism says, So that immediately at the very beginning of the prayer, he might excite in us that childlike reverence and confidence for in God, which are the foundation of our prayer, namely that God is our Father in Christ and will much less deny us what we ask of him in true faith than our parents will refuse us earthly things. And so just like a child's first words out of their mouth are dad or mom, our first words should be, to, to God is our Father. That needs to be that similarity of, of confidence. A young child's not worried so much about how they say it, even with limited vocabulary and limited ability to speech, even some sounds. They, they express what they communicate to, or they, they communicate their request. And when we think of prayer meetings, often if people are, are afraid of praying in public settings and they don't feel adequate enough to pray. And there's certainly a place where orderly prayers are necessary for people to follow along. But prayer is also an unburdening of the heart. It, it, does, that, it doesn't always come out in, in such neat and perfect sentences. And in prayer meetings, it's not always necessary to, to be so clean and smooth. But to be able to come to God with that confidence that He hears you. And there's also those times that you come to God where you really don't know what to pray. You don't know how to express your heart. And that's what Romans 8 says, that the Spirit also helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself makes intercession with us, for us, with groanings which cannot be uttered. And isn't that what the Lord here promises, that He will not withhold His Spirit from those who ask Him? And so Luke 11, verse 13 says if, that if your parents know how to give you good gifts, children, 
How much more will, the, will God give His Holy Spirit? How much more will the Heavenly Father give His Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So children, God teaches us to come to God with that same confidence that we can come to our parents. We need that faith. We need that confidence and trust. It's like Hebrews 11 says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. We must come believing that He is and that He will reward those who diligently seek Him. But along with that confidence, we must also realize that He's our Father only in Christ. And that's why, secondly, we must approach Him with humility as to our only Father in heaven, as our Holy Father in heaven. With humility as to a Holy Father in heaven. See, the disciples asked the Lord to teach them to pray. Mary, as we heard this morning, sat in front of the Lord Jesus, receiving his word from him. We need that humility. We need that godly reverence when we come to God in the reading of his word and in prayer. And so Jesus instructed us to say, Our Father in heaven, and it's followed by hallowed be your name. That hallowed means to keep holy, to honor. And that's really the third commandment, to keep his name holy. And the disciples realized that Jesus prayed in in a special way, with confidence and yet humility. So the Pharisees, they, the Scripture says, the Pharisees loved to stand on the street corners or in the front of the temple and, and, and to, to pray where they could be heard and, and to be seen. They wanted to appear religious. They wanted to be approved by, what, by the things that they do. They wanted to be recognized for what they do. But in Matthew 6, the Lord Jesus says, there's a parallel passage to this, when you pray, go into your room and pray to your Father in secret, and He will hear. Martha kept serving. She became frustrated and angry at Mary. But Mary came and sat by the Lord Jesus to be taught. And so prayer shows a reverence to God. To a holy God. And the way to our Father in heaven we know is only through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus said in John 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And so the only way we can pray to our Father is through and in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, God is a consuming fire. Outside of that atonement for sin, we stand under the wrath of God for our own sin. If you think of the story in the Old Testament where the priests were to come to the temple, and when they did so, they came with, with, a, with a censer that they would have fire and make smoke as they go into the temple, and they were, they were to take fire from off of the altar. And this was symbolic of how they were to approach God. That altar was where the sacrifice was slain to show that atonement for sin, to show how Christ was sacrificed for the sins of his people. And and then they were to take that fire from off the altar, that fire that was supposed to be burning continually, supposed to 
light their incense with that same fire. And then they were supposed to approach God in that manner from the altar to approach God. And then as they entered that temple, that smoke from that censer would fill the room. And that smoke represents the prayers of his people. It would fill the room and it would float from the first room past the curtain into the second room, the Holy of Holies, where the presence of God dwelt in, in the ark, where the ark was symbolizes God's presence. But the two priests, Nadab and Abihu, they took those, that censer and they lit their own fire. And they tried to approach the temple with the fire that they made. And God caused fire to come out and kill them on the spot. Because they tried to bypass that altar. It's like if we tried to bypass Jesus Christ to come to the Father. We need our sins forgiven by the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only way to the Father. When we pray, we must come through the atoning work of Jesus Christ. That's why every other religion, even if they claim to pray to only one God, they do not come through Jesus Christ. And then there is no forgiveness for their sins. That's why all other religions still have some sort of rituals, in some ways to appease the gods and, and to, for the evil. And so they're always busy doing and serving and trying to entertain their gods. But Jesus shows us that we need to stop making our own way to please God. But we must come through the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Because it's only in the Lord Jesus Christ where we find peace with God and acceptance with God. And so we must come humbly. We don't just walk up to God like we do a a, a friend in high school and say, Hey, buddy, but God is holy. God is in heaven. And that's why he says, God, our Father in heaven. And that's why the catechism explains and said we must not have any earthly conception of God's heavenly majesty. Don't be mistaken about who God truly is. Even when you walk up to your parents, yes, there is a confidence, but there's also a respect too. And you know, children, you can't just, you know you can go up to your mother any day you want, but you know you cannot enter the house full of mud and muddy and wet socks. You know that you can go to God freely, but you know you can't run to God full of sin, with continuing in sin, I mean by that. We can only come through the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to have those sins forgiven, to be washed and cleansed because we can't stand before a holy God in our sins by ourselves. We need that. We need the Lord Jesus' sacrifice for sin to take that punishment. And similarly, when every time I tried to cross the border, the U.S. border patrol there, I have nothing to hide, but I still get nervous every time because I know there's an authority there and they also deserve respect. So how much greater is God in heaven who created the heavens and the earth, children? He sits in the majesty and in the glory that we cannot even approach unto, a brightness that we cannot see with our eyes, 
where seraphims have to cover their faces and cry, Holy, holy, holy. It means supremely holy is the Lord God Almighty. That is the God that we have to approach. He knows our every thought and our every sin. When we come to the border crossing, we we tell them only what they need to hear, only what they ask for. With our parents, we're a little more open. We we dare to share the secrets of our hearts. We have questions or, or burdens. But God knows every thought. God knows every secret. God knows the good and the bad. And so how do we dare approach the border security or inspection of the almighty and holy God except with a holy reverence and a godly fear in the name of Jesus Christ? We come to receive and not to demand. We don't go up to the border and demand that we get access. We don't go to God and demand that we get what we want. Even though we come with a confidence and with a humility, it must be in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ who had to die for sin. Knowing that we can be covered in His perfect righteousness knowing that we can be washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, and knowing that we need that to be able to cross that inspection to enter eternity. So we must come with confidence and with humility, but we must also come, thirdly, with persistence. With persistence as to our Almighty Father in heaven. All power in heaven and earth is given unto me, the Lord Jesus Christ said to his disciples. Our Father in heaven is the Father of every good and perfect gift, the Scripture says. He says he will not withhold his Spirit from those who ask him. That means he's not only willing, but he's also able to give what he promises. Our parents are not able to give us everything that we need or want, but God is able to give everything that he promises. And so again, the catechism says this, that we may expect all things necessary from his almighty power. And if you look at verse 5 in this chapter, it says, who of you would have a friend who would not be willing to help you even in the middle of the night? Here this man had a friend come over Late at night, apparently, and he needed a place to stay. But this man had nothing had nothing to feed him. They never had internet or phones to let him know that he was coming, so he suddenly shows up on his doorstep late at night, and there's no food left in his house. And so he goes to his neighbor, knocks on the door, and says, My friend's come over, and I have no bread. Can, can you spare me three loaves? I can't send him to bed on an empty stomach. And at first, that neighbor doesn't want to get out of bed, even though it's his friend, the next-door neighbor. And he says, my children are in bed. I don't want everybody to wake up. They might be grumpy tomorrow and tired. Come back in the morning. But Jesus says in verse 8, Even though he will not rise and give him because he is a friend, yet because of his persistence he will rise and give him as many as he needs. This man keeps knocking and asking for bread. Even though they were good friends, he he first didn't feel like getting out of bed. But because he kept knocking, his persistence 
is what got him up. And it means that this man was not just standing there politely knocking on the door in the middle of the night saying, please uh, give me some bread. But he was unashamedly bold, banging on the door, even in a sense rude. Open up. I can't go home without any bread. He was not, he was not willing to go home without anything. And that's what finally gets this man out of bed. And he says, all right, all right. How much do you need here? Have what you need and be on your way. And so I ask you, how do you pray? Politely and timidly knocking on heaven's door and waiting maybe three seconds and going on your way because God didn't answer right away? Or are you there persistent? You have a need and you know God can fill that need. Are you unashamedly banging on heaven's door for God to provide you what you need? Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. Do you need God in that way? I must admit how quickly we give up. It's easy to pray when circumstances demand it. It's easy to pray for short periods of time, maybe a week, maybe a month. But still I wonder... Do our prayers amount to anything else than just a small waft of smoke from a little campfire? Or do we pray with persistence because we know that God is almighty and can do all things? That He is our Father in Christ Jesus? Romans 8 says, He spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Do we have persistence for our own salvation and our own holiness? When Jesus ascended to heaven, he told his disciples that all power in heaven and earth was given him. There's no sin too great, no sorrow too deep, no trial unknown to and unfelt by him. But he is the one who can deliver you come with that confidence, with that humility, and with the persistence that God would wash away your, the filth of your sins, that He would give you the grace to overcome those sins that still remain in our hearts daily? Are you seeking to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ so that we can have the mind of Christ, so that every thought and every word and every deed will be brought into captivity into to Jesus Christ to be acceptable to God because He knows all our hearts and thoughts? Are we persistent for the souls of our own children? Augustine's mother is an example to us all how she prayed year after year until her, her son was saved. For many years she found her place at the feet of Jesus praying for Augustine till, because he was living in an immoral and a wayward life. And then about a year after he was saved, she passed away. The Lord Jesus Christ came to seek and to save lost sheep. We cannot reach our children when they choose to leave God and forsake the way that they've been raised in. But God is almighty. 
We cannot run or hide from His presence, and many people do. They move to the other side of the world to get away from the church and where they've been brought up in. But you cannot run from God. He can go, He can turn, He can fetch them as He did with the prodigal son, with His Holy Spirit. Are you persistent in prayer for the souls of those who you love? Are you persistent in prayer for your nation? You heard the news of Roe versus Wade in the States, and that's a good news. It was overturned, and now in many states, abortion will be illegal. And that's such a blessing. How many years have people been praying for this? How many unborn children have had to be put to death before this happened? But how many are still being killed today? And what's happening in our own nation, where our own leaders Look upon this and say this is a, a, a bad thing to happen. And now we have Bill C-11 that got pushed through this week. Seeking to censor the internet and, and, and what people put on it. No doubt it threatens to silence God's word even more in our own nation. Do we pray to the almighty God who alone can bring repentance to our nation? Two elderly ladies, Peggy and Christine Smith, lived in a small cottage in the village of Barvis on the island of Lewis. They were 84 and 82. Peggy was blind and her sister suffered from severe arthritis. Not able to attend the public worship service anymore, but they met with God in their little cottage. They were burdened by the condition of their nation and church. There had been a large drift away from the church. And at that time, they say there were no more teenagers in church. And thankfully, we still have some here. So these ladies asked the pastor and she said, You've tried everything. You've tried evangelism. You've tried this and that. But have you tried God? Why don't you dedicate two nights per week and have prayer meetings for this purpose, to wait on the Lord? They were concerned about what was happening in the nation and what would happen if the Lord never brought repentance to their land. And so the church has called for prayer and for repentance and committed to holding these two nights of prayer meetings. And these ladies also are said to commit to praying Tuesday night and Friday night from 10 at night till 4 in the morning to wait on their knees at 82 and 84 years old. And it was said they pleaded this promise that they had from the Lord, I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. And there they continued with the church for months, several months, until the Lord came in a mighty way, which is known as the Hebrides Revival, I believe. The Lord brought repentance. Do we sit at the feet of Jesus like these ladies? Or have the prayers in our own land died out? The smoke of that incense that the priests were to bring into the tabernacle were to fill that room and to waft into the Holy of Holies over top of that curtain that separated the, the rooms. It represented the prayers of the people ascending to God, coming into His presence. 
Now, if we look over our nation today, what would the prayers of his people look like? Would it be a few little trickles of little campfires here and there lazily drifting into the sky, hardly reaching heaven? Or would it be the billowing smoke like this condo fire a year ago, thick black smoke piercing the heavens with the people of God crying out for mercy and repentance? These women prayed persistently because they knew who God was, holy and almighty, willing and able and faithful to His covenant and to His word. And they had an urgency because they saw the dire need of their nation. And that brings us to our last point, the urgency as to our only helper. Do we have such a sense of urgency This man in Luke, he went to his friend's house because he had nothing in his own house. He could not send his guest to bed without bread. How much more should we be in prayer for the state of our nation, the state of our own hearts? The disciples must have seen an urgency in Christ as he prayed. He had one purpose, to do the will of his Father, even to lay down his life for his people, to save sinners from Satan and from eternal death. And there were not many days left to do it for him. Robert Murray McShane said he preached as a dying man to dying people, sensing his limited ability and limited days on earth. And he died at the age of 29. Jesus said, In verse 9, I say to you, ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it will be opened unto you. For everyone who asks, receive. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Here's an increasing intensity. Ask, seek, knock. These words have a sense of persistence and urgency. Augustine's mother was not satisfied with a couple of prayers through, through the year for her son. These elderly women were not satisfied with a quick prayer for repentance and leaving the rest to be what it may. But day and night they prayed. Yes, we can't pray physically day and night. But the question is, are we content without receiving an answer? Is there an urgency in our heart? God promises that he will not withhold his spirit from those who ask him. We need his spirit for everything. For conviction of sin. For that new birth. For that new spiritual life. For sanctification. For for power to overcome our sins. For all the fruits of the spirit. The love. The joy. The peace. That assurance. That comfort. The sealing of his work to our hearts. Can we live without those? Our nation is heading for terrible times if we continue in this trajectory. God's judgments already seem to be falling on the wicked. And on His church is in the midst of it. Only the grace and spirit of, of God can bring repentance and turning back to God. Is there any sense of urgency with us? Because if we're honest... The nation's condition doesn't really feel urgent to us right now. 
because it's still so easy to live comfortably. Yes, there may be shortages here and there, but we can still go and get the things that we need. We can still go out and do the things that we want to do. But that's national. But there's also the individual and personal. Because once the day comes, there's no turning back. Once our soul enters eternity, no more change is possible. Are you ready for that border inspection to cross from this time into eternity? And are you praying for those who you know are not ready? And to whom else shall we go? He has the words of eternal life. Jesus said, When you pray, say, Our Father in heaven. And pray with confidence and with humility, with persistence and with urgency. Because He's a God who can hear, who can help, and who can save. Amen.